like never before in the history of Christianity, we all cry out, even so come Lord Jesus. Thank you, choir, so much for that. That is our hope and our destiny. In the series looking at spiritual warfare, we've looked at varying aspects of the battle, preparing for that, understanding who our enemy is, realizing the importance of dressing for battle, for no one goes out to do battle without being prepared. The amazing thing about everything that we wear is that we don't fight the battle. God fights it for us, and that's what's so beautiful. But each implement that we put on, each part of the dress matters because it identifies who we are and whose we are. It reminds us that there is a God that goes before us and prepares us and equips us. We understand that it's not what we're doing. We have no self-righteousness in this. It's the righteousness of God that makes a difference in our life. I remember reading an article several years ago about a member of the Missouri legislature who had accepted a $25,000 bribe in order to vote a certain way. He accepted that bribe two days before the vote, and the day of the vote, another person came to him and gave him $50,000 to vote the other way. He returned the first $25,000 and kept the $50,000. Later, there was a, an investigation on a high level, and it became very public when they interviewed him, and they asked him, they said, you took the 50000 why did you return the 25000 And the self-righteous legislator said this as he was scornful toward the one examining him. He said, I'll have you to know that I'm too conscientious to take money from both sides. Now, I don't know where you find your righteousness in that, but he did. He thought that was righteous. The reality is the only righteousness we can ever have is not our righteousness. We are broken vessels. We're all sinful. We are sinful in the acts that we perform. We're sinful in the, the things that we fail to do. And we're sinful in our relationships with one another. And it's important for us to realize that God understands that. 3,300 years ago, a situation happened in Israel that we read and breaks our heart, but it's a reality of where we are today. It says in Judges 21, in those days there were no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's sort of where we are today. People decide what is right, and then they find a way to describe it. And they try to say how they have been hindered, and how people have prejudiced them, and why it is important for them to be recognized. But when's the last time you heard somebody confess that they're sinful, that they're broken, they're fallen? And it's not their righteousness they're depending upon. You see, the reality is we've got to learn that lesson ourselves. Proverbs 14, 12 said, There's a way which seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. That which seems right by us does not mean it's right before God. We spend a lot of time justifying ourselves and justifying our actions and the things that we do and the things that we say. But very few people today judge themselves, and that's what God expects for us to do. Now, what is the meaning of righteousness? It means to make right. The root word here means straightness. It's the idea of something that's perfectly plain and straight and real. Righteousness and justice and justification are from the same root word in the Greek. God is righteous in all that he does. God establishes the standards of righteousness because he is the judge. 
The 50th Psalm says, In the heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is our judge. As we will see, our righteousness or our right living before God is only done in obedience to Him. It's not something we conjure up, something that we create. It's not a standard that we set and we say, I'll live by this and therefore you'll judge me by that. Absolutely not. God set the standard. And the reality is, as we look at life, there's an evil one that's coming after us that wants to overthrow us, that wants to lead us astray, that wants to give us the idea that among the body of Christ, there are others that maybe don't like us, that don't love us, to drive a wedge in between the ones that are there. I grew up in a foster family that was very remarkable. My mother's family had been in Georgia since it was called Marthasville. They'd been a part of Georgia for a long time, and she had family that, that were in the granite business for many years. They owned Arabia Mountain and Stone Mountain at one time. One of the neat things as a child was to go out to Arabia Mountain as they were cutting some of the granite there. And there's an old man there that had been a stone cutter for many years. And he showed us how they used to cut stone there. And he said, isn't it remarkable that a diamond bit saw will wear out cutting stone? That it requires dynamite and a special place to crack it. But he said, if I want to make a hole in a piece of granite, and I'm not concerned with the time element, he said, I can use a droplet of water that's consistent in the right place over a period of many, many, many years, and it will wear down that stone. He said, not that it's strong or powerful, but that somehow the consistency of what it's doing will wear away the stone and destroy it. In the same way, Satan wants to wear us down and destroy us. He's not in hurry. in a hurry. Time is not an issue for him with us. He's got our lifetime to abuse us and to lead us astray. And sometimes that drop of water that's consistent in our lives will divide the body of Christ. That's why it's so important that unity be on our minds and in our hearts. Doesn't mean that everybody agrees on everything. Doesn't mean everybody's right, but it means we stand together through the storms of life no matter what comes before us. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek, or us. For in the righteousness of God, when it's revealed from faith to faith, it is written, For the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I love Joel because it correctly states this. It said, The right person shall live by faith. His faith, meaning the faith of God. It's not our faithfulness that saves us. It's the faithfulness of God. His steadfast love, as it's described in the Hebrew, is what keeps us going. And it's what we stand upon. Our focus today, though, we're examining the armor of God. And we want to look at the breastplate of righteousness. And remember, you didn't create it. It's not something that you even can build Yet God maintains it in you because He is the one who is right. Right living will protect us, but only, focus, only focusing on Him will continue that because if we focus on ourselves, 
we'll become self-righteous and we'll lose touch with the meaning of the breastplate of righteousness. Paul, in, in his writing to the Christians in Ephesus, he understood that there were folks there that, that would not understand that. They didn't realize that they had to choose to go in this direction. And I like the phrase he uses there. He said, having put on, meaning we have to choose to dress this way. In the Greek, the word that's used there is in the aorist tense, meaning it's something done once for all and forever. You've got to choose to put on this righteousness. God wants us to make that choice and take on his righteousness. As Christians, we've already put on the breastplate of righteousness, but the implication here is twofold. Number one, only we have the righteousness of God, not our righteousness. And then secondly, by virtue of that righteousness imparted to us through the works of Jesus, we're able to have the Spirit of God live in a vital way within us. That righteousness makes us powerful. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. He said, our positional righteousness in Christ without practical righteousness in our daily life only gives Satan opportunity to attack us. And let me explain what he means by that. Positional righteousness means that we are in the position of Christ. He has covered us with his blood. Our sins are seen no more. Do we still sin after we're saved? Absolutely. We struggle with sin. You'll struggle with sin the rest of your life on this earth because we live in a broken world. It's a world full of sin. Temptation is always there. And we will struggle with it. We will fight with it. I've had Christians say, I don't even have to struggle with sin anymore. Well, there's only one situation that that's true. And that's if you've given in to sin. If you're a Christian in this world and, and, and you're still living the Christ life, you're struggling with sin, the temptation is there and it will always come upon you and it will always go after you. But I don't want to think about the positional righteousness because we're in that position where Christ has covered us with his blood. But without practical righteousness, as, as Warren Wearsby said, Satan will have an opportunity to attack us. And, and what practical righteousness is, is what you do daily. What you live for in a realistic way. You know, Isaiah 64 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean. For all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Yes, we're sinful people, but our practical righteous, righteousness is that we cleanse ourselves on a daily basis. We call it, in the, in, in the Christian terminology of the New Testament, uh, we're going through sanctification daily. We're sanctifying ourselves. I hope that on a daily basis, when you pray and you have your time with God, that you'll take time to listen to what He guides you with. If you're struggling with a, a temptation in your life or a, a sin or a habit that's overcome you, please give it to the Lord and talk to Him about it. Please be willing to change and become a better person. Realize that as you sacrifice these things in your life, these temptations, and you say, God, I can't do this on my own. You've got to do this for me. He will give you that strength. The choices you make in life will determine who you become. 1 Corinthians 1.30 uh, lets us know, but by his doing, 
you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see, as we take in Christ, as we read our Bibles and open it up daily and let God speak to us through his word, not just read it over and and make sure that we've got the context of it, but to let it examine who we are, then suddenly the weaknesses we have are illumined. They're lighted in an amazing way. I remember this sanctuary when I first came here. Remember before we did the remodeling? Remember the lights up there, how dim they were? Now, the spotlights that are on me up there, they're hot, very hot, the old ones. In fact, one man touched them trying to take some out, and he had turned it off for some time, and it was still searing hot. It was so hot that it actually had burned some timbers up there. What we have now are LED lights. They're very different. They're not hot like that, but you know what? They sure are bright. Choir, remember, remember when we first got them in and we came back in here, how it was tough to see things? You'd walk in and, and you'd almost be blinded. I, I just had a replacement, in, a lens in my left eye, and I could not look up. It hurt so badly. Now it's wonderful. I've adjusted to it, and I can read, and I can see things here like I couldn't see them before. That's how the Holy Spirit illumines Scripture to you and causes you to see things that you didn't see before. But you've got to be still and quiet and let God speak. You've got to let His words penetrate your heart. You've got to, as Paul said to the Christians in Philippi, be found in Christ, not having our own righteousness, which is the law, but that which is by faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That position is so important, and that's a position you have to have if you put on that breastplate of righteousness. It's not your righteousness, it's his. But what about the daily battle we fight? How are you getting through that? Are you winning in that battle? The devil looks for every opportunity. He's going to be there with you in the still moments when it's quiet. He's going to be that one who whispers in your ear, you're going to lose. You think you're so sure of yourself, you're going to lose. It's falling apart. Satan has a way of attacking us quietly sometimes. He's not vulgar and rude, just as he showed up in the Garden of Eden with Eve. He didn't yell at her and scream at her. In a very subtle way, he just said, Did God really say what you think he said? He began to twist the words of God to Eve. And her first mistake was listening to him. Don't listen to Satan. We're told in another passage, don't give place to the devil. What that means is don't give him a position near you to influence you. There's only one thing you can be sure of about Satan, and that is he's seeking to destroy you in every way. William Barclay in his commentary said, when a man is clothed in righteousness, he is impregnable, untouchable. It's better than Kevlar. You can wear a Kevlar vest and still be killed. But the breastplate of righteousness cannot be penetrated in any way. Words are no defense against accusations, but a good life is, remember that. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, but he never speaks out of his own lips. He speaks through others. 
and you're going to be accused, expect that. The only way you can survive being accused of not being accused of anything is not to do anything. If you move, you create friction, and you're going to have situations where accusations fly. I remember what Plato, the great thinker, Greek thinker, said one time. Uh, one, once a man accused Plato of a crime, and he stood up in a very bold place and did it. Plato said, well then, we must live in such a way as to prove that his accusations are a lie. And that's true. Live in such a way that your accusers will eventually melt away. How do you disprove a negative? Well, being a student of logic, you can't. Once the accusation is made, it stands. The only way you can disprove it is with time, by demonstrating the fact that what they said is simply not true. I'm so glad that we have a God that says one day there will be a time to judge and it's not now. It's not on this earth. Yet people judge us all the time. People will keenly love us and care about us. But if they ever turn on you, you're in trouble. Last night I read in my files a story about a child in Mississippi. Two or three year old beautiful little boy was with his mother at her sister's house, the aunt. The aunt had a pit bull. And that little frail, handsome little boy was attacked by that pit bull and killed last year. I watched the video, some of you may have seen it, where they did the honor walk through the hospital with the baby in its bed already in heaven rolled it through the hospital, and literally hundreds of people stood to honor that child. Let me tell you something. There are times in life that bad things happen and they break our hearts. But God will judge one day. God will judge. And we may be as innocent as that little boy was when that pit bull attacked it and killed it, but let me tell you this. God will set things right one day. He's the judge. We're not the judge in this world. People will judge you and criticize you. The only way to avoid it is just simply don't do anything. And it's been my reality to find out you can do nothing, still be blamed for something. But don't let the accusations that originate from the evil one and come through the lips sometimes of your friends stop you from doing what you know is right. Satan has a lot of weapons in his arsenal, and one of them is discouragement. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I get very discouraged at times. We all get discouraged. We get defeated. Satan has a way of just coming after us, but we've got to remember, we're not depending upon our condition to survive. It's God's that will put us forward and do what's right. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 speaks so much to that in the renewing of the spirit of the mind. To put on that new self daily, day after day after day after day. I go to the building across the street and, and I pray as I walk through there. 
We've got a wonderful godly man that's laying the floor over there. He's laid the floor on the first floor. He'll go to the second floor and eventually to the third floor. He's a Baptist preacher down the road here near Craig Field. Never met him that he wasn't smiling and happy. I asked him the other day as he was there, and he told me, he said, he said every, every plank I lay here, I pray over it. I pray over this building. He said, I think about the children that will be in here and, and the lives that will be changed and the families that will be put back together. And I looked at him and said, how do you smile? All? Why are you always so happy? And he said, many times I'm very sad. But he said, I'm happy when I think about the Lord that cares for me and that loves me. I can't tell you how that makes me feel because I walk through that building and I think about the influence we'll have. The influence long after I'm deceased and gone on to heaven here in this community. We need the work here. We can't back down. We can't shrink away. It's, it's not a, a matter of finances, whether or not we can do it. It's a matter of truth. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And Satan has attacked and wanted to destroy our work, but we're not going to allow that to happen. Because we know what we're doing is right. I remember a pastor telling me one time as they built a new church, he said, if one soul is saved because of this, it will be to the glory of God in heaven. And we've got to realize the work that we're doing. I watched these, these little ones come up on the steps here, and, and I know we've got a new crop of them now, and, and they're always a little bit awkward, and, and sometimes they don't know where to sit, and they were out across here like a big English pea ready to be shelled. And, and I love to see that because they're finding their place together as a group. They're a new group together. And they walk back there, and they're so excited. You hear all the noise. How on earth you can move into a special hearing them go through there? But that is the most lovely sound you'll ever hear. But God is preparing them, and he's using us to do that. Sometimes I say, Lord, do you know what you're doing? You know, the bad thing about being a parent is about the time you figure out what you're doing, you're out of business, right? That's the way we are. That's why most, most folks are better grandparents than parents, because by then you've kind of figured out what's going on. But the reality is God is doing the work, not us. Not us. And God expects us to do a righteous work. Catherine, I was picking on you a while ago. Catherine's a very shy person, but she is a gifted teacher. And I can remember back some time ago, Catherine would, would do an online thing with some folks in China teaching. And I would ride by her house, and I would leave early, early in the morning to go out to the gym. And her light would be on because she told me, I sit in the dining room, and that's where I do my work. And I would see her light on, and I'd pray for her. And I'd pray for those kids way over there because I knew this. She was teaching them what academically she was charged to do, but she also was sharing what she was about as a Christian. You can plant seeds of hope in amazing ways. And early in the morning, she was doing that while most folks were asleep. We've got to be people that believe in what we're doing and do it with a sense of gusto and excitement because God wants us to be that person. Lastly, I want you to think about this. Romans 6, 12, and 13 says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not, do not go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of sin, but be freed from that. And that is so powerful for us to understand. R.C. Sproul put it this way. 
He said, when believers are living with unconfessed sins, the breastplate of righteousness only covers over their frailties and their failures. Make sure that you prepare for battle by confessing your sins. Be that Christian that says, look, I know, I know I'm frail and I know I'm fallen, but I know I can do much through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 4.3 puts it in an amazing way. It says, Abraham believed God and it was credited for him, to him for righteousness' sake. God has credited to your account so much. Make sure when you put on that breastplate of righteousness that you understand that it is to prepare you, to equip you, to stand against the wiles of the evil one, Satan, and for you not to fall or falter. For in this battle we're in today and the world that we live in right now, we're going to have to stand together and stand strong. For God is counting what we're doing for his kingdom and it matters. And if we're faithful, we can make a difference in our part of the world. And that's what you're called to do. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you prepare us even now because truly the decisions we make now during this time of stillness and this time of decision will influence what we do for the rest of this week or the rest of our lives. God, may we be found faithful. May we understand it's not our righteousness, but it's yours that makes the difference. It's not our abilities, but only our availability to you that changes things. And as we are available, we know that you are able. And we ask that you work in our heart even now. Father, speak to someone this morning who's struggling with living that life, who's, who's having a tough time. And they want to be that righteous person. Lord, speak to the one that has a decision to make today. To follow you in obedience. To join the church or possibly to be baptized or, or simply to recommit their life to you. They're standing there and they're needing the strength to do that. May your Holy Spirit strengthen them even now. And may the decision that they make be one that changes their life from this point forward and forever. And we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.